Welcome to Wholehearted Coaching, the podcast. If you're looking for more purpose, more passion, more joy in your life, then you have come to the right place. I am your host, coach and life alchemist, Sharin Eskandani, and I have worked with thousands of people showing them how to create their dream lives while also living their dream lives. This podcast is where mindset, mindfulness, and manifestation meet. Together, we're going to release limiting beliefs, put your dreams into motion, all while prioritizing your ease, rest, and joy. Let's do this, love. Hi, love. Welcome to Wholehearted Coaching, the podcast. This is where we take a deeper dive into my Mindset Monday post, which you can read on Instagram at Wholehearted Coaching. Or if you want to go even deeper into this week's episode and get my free weekly journal prompts, sign up for my email list and you'll be able to explore the topics we're talking about in this episode even further. You can do that in the show notes or by heading to my website, wholehearted-coaching.com. And if you're interested in working with me, whether that's one-on-one in one of my group programs or one of my transformational courses, you can head to my website, wholehearted-coaching.com slash offerings to find out more. And of course, you can also head to the show notes and all of this information will be waiting for you there. All right, love, welcome to this week's episode. I have been eagerly waiting to announce to you, to let you know, to tell you all about what is happening on the podcast for the month of June. So I am going to be taking a little bit of time off over the summer. Your girl loves the summer, so she needs her time to rest and reset and rejuvenate so she can come back strong and refreshed in the fall. But I wanted to leave you all with gems of episodes, like episodes that I want you all to be thinking about over the summer, episodes that are going to inspire you and support you this summer as you think about your dreams, as you work towards your dreams, as you envision your dreams. And so I was thinking, okay, well, what what can I do? Should I do another best of series? And I was like, no, 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 that's that's played out. So I came up with this incredible idea. I think it's incredible to interview some women that I am so inspired by. Women who I really believe embody what courage is. These are women who have pivoted and shifted in their careers. They have taken the plan, burned up the plan, and recreated the plan time and time again. You know, when we think of people who are doing quote-unquote big things in the world, sometimes we don't have the context. We don't know the inside scoop, the inside story of how scary it was for them to go after those big things or how difficult it may have been. So we're calling this series Courageous Conversations. And during these interviews, you know, we talk about what courage really looks like, day-to-day courage, how much fear there can be, how much beauty there can be, how much difficulty there can be as we go towards our biggest dreams and our biggest goals. These are really honest and vulnerable conversations. Because, love, I want you to know that you are not alone. You are not alone in your fear or your worry or your doubt. I want you to know that anyone can do, quote-unquote, big things. 
And I really want you to know that the people out there doing the big things, they are no different than you. They still worry, they still have fear, but they have learned how to move with their fear, how to find their courage. When I think of courage, I see it as this big iceberg. And most of the time, what we see in the outside world, right, not having an inside view of what's happening for that person, is we just see the tip of that iceberg, which is them launching their business or being on TV or, you know, traveling around the world, right? We see the tip of the iceberg, but underneath the tip, underneath the water, is this huge iceberg, which is made up of these small, courageous decisions. I want you to hear what small, courageous decisions sound like, what they feel like. Because, love, we all have the ability to do big things. And they start in the smallest of ways. So during these courageous conversations, you are going to hear all about those small ways, all of the breakthroughs that these people had, all of the breakdowns these incredible humans had. And these interviews are like mini masterclasses. You're going to learn so much. I have a feeling you're probably going to want to listen to some of them over and over again. Just me interviewing these people. And these are my colleagues. Some of them are my close friends. I learned so much. So this series of Courageous Conversations is going to happen through the month of June. And actually, it's going to be six episodes. So we're going to go a little bit over into July. And we're going to finish off with my personal story, my courageous conversation. But first, I want you to hear from these incredible human beings. Each week, I'll be highlighting a woman of color who is doing amazing things in the world and who I am so grateful opened themselves up to me and to this community. And it is such a gift. It is such a damn gift to hear these stories. I'm telling you, get ready. I've never been so excited for something on the podcast before. So we're kicking it off with one of my personal favorite human beings in the world, Cindy Spiegel. Cindy Spiegel is a born storyteller and a former fashion industry exec. Turned writer, she's an aspirational voice and an igniter of powerful conversation. Though she doesn't have a job to speak of, you can often find her somewhere on the internet spreading hard-earned truth and wisdom while also posing as an inspiring and provocative keynote speaker and founder of Dear Grown-Ass Women, a diverse and highly relatable social community for women 35 plus that you should absolutely join. I love this interview with Cindy because I think something that Cindy really highlights for all of us is when you know that something is not for you anymore, stop. Listen to your gut. Listen to yourself. She reminds us of the power of pausing, of pivoting, of shifting. When you hear Cindy's story, you will hear that she has changed careers and life paths so many times without apology. That's what I love about her. There is no apology there. This conversation is such a powerful one because Cindy really opens up about some of her own struggles, some of her own difficulties, but she lets us know how she was able to really listen to herself and shift and pivot when it felt right. So love, get ready for my courageous conversation with Cindy Spiegel. 
So Cindy, I want to introduce everyone to the series in how we met. I heard of Cindy through a colleague. And at the time, Cindy, she was a business coach and she was helping women create their own businesses, break out of their fear, do their own thing. And I remember hearing about it and I was like, I need to join this. I need to join the collective, right? That's what it was called. Mm -hmm. It was called the The collective collective of us, the collective of us. And when I tell you doing the collective of us with Cindy was like the fire started. It was the ignition to everything that wholehearted coaching has become. It is literally, I attribute Cindy to so much of my success. And yes, I know like I did that, but like you also gave me the permission to do the things I wanted to do. And since then, Cindy, I've, I've been in touch and now I know her on a more personal level, which is such a, like, I'm so grateful for, but Cindy, is that how we met for the first time? I think that's it, right? That is correct. That is how we met for the first time. And then we just stayed connecting and, and became friends. So I wanted to feature you, Cindy Spiegel on this podcast for the series, because you embody to me what following your compass looks like. You have had many lives, many, like, I mean, I don't even want to say like, if a book has many chapters, like Cindy Spiegel has like, it's a trilogy or it's like a, I don't know, like, it's like, (laughs) it's Lord of the Rings style. It's Harry Potter. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like Cindy just keeps shifting and transforming and you do it with so much. There's no apologies for it. You're like, yeah, I'm doing this now. So are you guys going to come on board? If you're not cool, if you are, then let's, let's do this. And so when I met Cindy, who I met was a business coach. We'll get into how you define this kind of chapter you're in. But Cindy, what I first want to find out from you is young Cindy, tell me about her, her life, what she saw, what she believed was possible for her and her future. Tell me about little Cindy. Oh, you went right in, didn't you? You just went right into the childhood. Okay. (laughs) So when I was little, and I've spoken a lot about this in my work, I grew up very poor. And I don't know, are we not supposed to say poor anymore? I grew up poor. Other people can say whatever they want. I saw a lot of drugs around me. I lived through the AIDS epidemic. I watched a lot of people die in the 80s that were very close to my family, many of them in my family. And even saying that, I had a lovely childhood, right? I had a mom who loved me in addition to her addiction. I had siblings who loved me as much as older brothers could. And somehow through everything, I always knew that more was possible. When you grow up in poverty, and I think a lot of folks would say this, when you grow up in poverty, you know it only in comparison to other people. So you by yourself have no idea. You're just living your life and this is the way things are. And you go to the corner store using your paper food stamps and that's just the way it is. But you don't know that you are any different until you meet other people who are different. And so I had the opportunity, even you know, as a child, to meet lots of people in lots of different situations. And so I knew that there was more available to me. And I, I mean that not in a scale of where I was being less, but I knew that there was a big wide world out there and that I could choose where and who I wanted to be in that world. And I also grew up with a mother who told me I could be anything and do anything. And so I believed her and I'm really grateful that I believed her. And so, you know, who was I at that point? I was just a little mixed kid trying to figure out who I was in the world. I was made fun of a lot as a kid. I had freckles, which was not a normal thing where I grew up. I had birthmark on my face, which was not a normal thing where I grew up. 
But I always knew at home that I can do anything I wanted and that outside of what anybody else told me, I can do and be anything. And so I, I held to that and I believe that. I love that. And you really do embody that to me. Absolutely. For you, I think one of the things we do, especially kind of in our late teens, early twenties is we kind of create, like, I call it the plan, right? Like, this is what my future is going to be. Oh, like the naivete of like being young. Right. But for you, what was your, the plan? Like, what was Cindy going to do? What was she going to, what was her future going to be like when you envisioned it? So Cindy was going to do exactly what Cindy did. And you know, what's interesting is I actually don't consider that the naivete of being young. I think it's part of who we are, Mm -hmm. right? It's, it's part of our, I think we are really challenged in our culture because we think that there's only one way to be in the world, right? You graduate, like somehow we've given kids, literal children, the responsibility to have to dictate what they want to do with the rest of their lives at the age of 18 or 19 years old, or however old you are when you finish college, I don't know, 25. And so when I think about that, I just think, no, I did exactly what I knew I was going to do when I was 20 and made that decision, which was to spend a career in the fashion industry. My first job as a 16-year-old, I always worked as many jobs as I could so that I could buy fabulous clothing. I worked at The Gap at Gap Kids, and I went to my community college for two years, and then I transferred to FIT for my bachelor's degree. And I always knew that I wanted to go to FIT, but I also knew that I was poor, so I should start at my community college. So shout out to community colleges everywhere. But I did. I went on to go to FIT. I did my internship abroad in London, working for a fashion forecasting company. I came back to New York and I interned for DKNY, I interned for Liz Claiborne. I went on to have a long career at Coach, working in product development. I traveled the world and I left it all when I was 35. So up until from the time I was 20 to 35 or 36-ish, I did exactly what I thought I was going to do. But I think what was different was that I knew when I was done and I Mm. knew that done didn't mean when my career was over. It just meant that I was done with that chapter. Ooh, can you say that again? I think people really need to hear that. (laughs) Probably not. (laughs) It was, you knew when you were done and done didn't, it just meant the end of that chapter. Like, I think that's, I think um, sometimes we see, oh, I want to shift careers and it's like the sense of failure or the sense of, oh my Mm -hmm. gosh, I invested all of this time and effort into this, like what the fuck am I doing? Yeah. What? So from the outside, when you describe your fashion career, you know, it's one of those things that like when I was an opera singer, it's so glamorous and it seems from the outside, look, Cindy's living the dream, right? She's being flown. I remember you telling you, you were flying first class to all these places. How did you business? I mean, (laughs) listen, I have been in business class once in my life and I will take it over anything. And it's fine. Right. But How does that pivot happen? Like, how did you know you were done? Yeah. How did I know I was done? Can I answer a different question that you didn't ask first? Yes. A billion percent. (laughs) So the first thing I want to just acknowledge is growing up the way I did and then sort of working my way into this life that I did, which was a life of privilege. Like there's no other way to just, we just have to call it what it is. I never took for granted those business class flights around the world. I never took for granted being in the spaces that I was in in ways that I think some of my colleagues did, right? I always knew that this reality wasn't necessarily one that most people will ever see. Mm -hmm. And so I think that was a really important part of me being able to walk away because I never took it for granted. I always understood how special it was. And 
it was glamorous in a lot of ways. You know, I mean, where else do you get to fly across the world business class and eat these beautiful dinners that cost more than rent on a New York City apartment? Not me, myself. I mean, my company. And it was all of those things. And so I think in order to walk away, I had to understand that first. And so at the time I was 35, I was a director of a luxury. I was at Narcissa Rodriguez and doing their accessories and flying to Italy and doing all of these cool things. And I had already, I think at that point, been a yoga teacher for a few years. It's always fucking yoga. That's the problem for people. It's like, once you see, you can't unsee it. And I just, I knew it was spring 2013 fashion week and we were at the show. It was New York city. It was in the tents. It was all the glamour of fashion models running back and forth. I remember looking around and going, wow, this is it. This is the thing. This is, this is what this culminated in. How lucky for me. And I'm done. I knew this. I knew I was done. Wow. Wow. I didn't have a plan. I didn't know what after was going to look like, you know, but I remember a girlfriend meeting me at the show. When you work in the industry, you can usually get your friends into the show. And we went out to eat. And I have a picture of this night. We went out to eat. Thai food. And I remember even now looking back on that picture, being exhausted and looking exhausted. I was probably 120 pounds. I was just, I was just exhausted. I, I knew that my heart no longer aligned with the work that I was doing. Hmm. And there was no, there was no other way. I was done. I was done. I knew I was done. I didn't fight being done. I also trusted, and again, I'll go back to my mom always said I can do anything, right? I trusted that I was smart enough, savvy enough, and connected enough to figure out another way. Now, I won't say that while in that other way, it always seemed so easy, but I trusted my own instincts that said, the only way I'm going to figure out what's next is if I do this hard thing, which is to walk away from this. Mm. I can't be in this while trying to figure out what's next. I need to separate myself from this. And so I did. And it was up until 2020, that was by far the hardest year of my life. The year between knowing what I was doing to not knowing what I was doing, which was, I guess, I don't know if it was 2012 to 2013, might've been 2012 to 2013. And it was hard. What would you say was hard about that? Because I think also sometimes people see people shifting in their careers and thinking, oh, well, they must've had something set up or they had a plan. And so I have to have a very concrete plan of how what's my exit strategy, right? And I don't, and for me too, that I didn't have a clear exit strategy at all. I just knew I had to, to leave and I wouldn't figure it out, like you said, until I left. So can you describe that year for us or that time where the transition was? Yeah, when I say it was hard, I meant I didn't have a family to lean back on that would pay my bills when I didn't have any money. I didn't have a partner at the time to lean on. There was no one, meaning if I didn't have a job, I didn't have money to pay my bills. Like there was no backup plan. And I think particularly in a city like New York, there's a lot of secret money, meaning people seem to be able to do these things where I'm like, but where the fuck, who's, and then you find out like somebody somewhere is paying these bills or there's a trust fund involved. I had none of that, right? There was no trust fund. There was no money at home. In fact, I was the one sending money home to like continue to help my mom in ways. My dad had already passed away and I wanted to help in any way I could. And so what was hard about it was, I had been saving money since I was 16 years old. I had a 401k plan. I actively chose to use my savings to live. My rent in New York City at the time was like $2,600 a month. And I knew that I wasn't willing to give up my apartment. I remember even now thinking my apartment was the one thing that grounded me. So the 
quote unquote right thing to do would have probably been to get a cheaper apartment. I wasn't going to do it. I wasn't going to do it because it was the only thing that would ground me. And if I uprooted my life, my career and everything I once thought was true and then moved, I don't know how I would have gotten out of it. And so I chose the alternative, which is to work through my savings and eventually my 401k, which I didn't work through, but I certainly used it in faith, really, that I would be okay and that I would be able to add that money back at some point. I knew it was a privilege to even have that money to access. And so, you know, at 35, I was not really thinking about what I was going to do at 70. That's a bad idea. People should not do that. Anyone (laughs) will tell you that. But I remember being very conscious about my choice and saying, this money is available to you right now, use it. And so I did. And I would make money however I could. I would teach, I was teaching yoga and meditation classes at my apartment once a week. And it certainly wasn't paying the kind of bills that I had, but it was allowing me to feel into my purpose Mm. and to find different ways of being, right? So that was really the start of public speaking in a different way for me, getting comfortable, not being an expert, but doing it anyway building community. You know, it was this very small thing that at the time I was like, it's $75 and you can come and that'll get you four classes in my apartment. And, you know, there were probably six to eight women that would pour in and take off their coats and go to my living room and have to find space on the floor. Luckily I had the fancy apartment. So I had space in the apartment, but these women were like helping me move my sofa and shit to find a space to do yoga. But it was, it was the start of so much of who I am today. And I think It's because I took those risks and I didn't have a backup plan. And what I knew to be true about myself is without a backup plan, I would figure it out. There was no other option. I would figure it out. I didn't spend all that money on my education. I didn't know all the people I knew. I didn't move to New York City to not figure it out. I knew I would figure it out. I just didn't know how or when. Wow. And so how did the clarity come to you for the next chapter? It was all that I could do, right? So when I initially started... I initially started coaching folks that were starting fashion businesses. That's what I knew how to do. I had a career doing this. I knew that I knew how to do that. So I used what I had at the time, which is 15, 16 year career in the fashion industry, multiple degrees, contacts throughout the world for you know production. I used what I had, which was said, you know, I knew a lot of folks who wanted to start fashion brands, particularly women, and I would start to coach them. And then I realized, and this is, I can't remember if the collective started. The collective, I think, started from that. So when I first Mm. launched it, it was for women starting fashion businesses. And after about two or three rounds, I realized that it didn't matter what kind of business you were starting. The process was the same no matter what. And that's when the collective became the collective. I don't even know what the question was. Now I feel like I'm just talking. No, no, you... (laughs) You answered it perfectly in how like the collective became the collective because you knew you could help women in fashion start their business. And then it just became what it was. And I think that's also so important too, is sometimes I think we think that we have to have a really clear vision of what the next thing is, but until you actually try some things out, you're not going to know. And and if you don't try, then you'll pigeonhole yourself into another thing that you think you're supposed to do. Right. Correct. Because I think what's so beautiful about when we go into the next thing is we realize then like, oh crap, this is how those 10 plus years in fashion or those things that I experienced. Yeah. How did like, how did that all come together? Because you, you brought in so much of yourself and then all of that experience you had. So how was that such a great addition to the work you were doing those years in fashion who you were? Just tell me about that kind of. Yeah. I'll answer a question you didn't ask first and then I'll. (laughs) I'll maybe come back to that question if I remember. 
What I will say, and I want folks to really understand, is that there is no wasted career. There is no wasted experience. Meaning, yes, I was doing something different, but I had, I could not have done what I was doing had I not spent a last, you know, had I not had a career in corporate fashion where I learned leadership skills, where Mm -hmm. I sort of worked my way up the ranks. If I didn't do those things, I would not have built the confidence and or the know-how to say at 35 or 36 years old, I'm going to do my own thing. And I don't really know what this thing is, but I'm going to give it a whirl. There weren't a lot of people in that space at the time, but I had to have my previous career. It's not that this was about fashion, you know, but I knew that I had taken all of my transferable skills and the fashion and the style piece of it just became a part of who I was. It was no longer a thing that I did in the world, you know, and I, I will say often, I was not excited about fashion anymore. And my style has nothing to do with coming out of the fashion industry. It comes out of having taste. And that's not something that anybody ever taught me. And I say that not to pat myself on the back, but just to say that who you are is always there and it's inherent in us, like who we are is inherent in us. And whether I worked in the fashion industry or not, my personal sense of style was always going to be a part of whatever was 2.0 and 3.0 and 4.0 of Cindy until it just became a part of who I am. So now, you know, we'll get to the now, I'm sure later, but there are not separate parts of Cindy. You know, I'll sometimes say 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, but there are just evolutions, right? It's like this is, but, but there's no drastic change between any of these evolutions because when you live into who you are, there is no ability to drastically be a different, you're, oh, I'm always going to be Cindy, whether I'm writing or speaking or building community, or it doesn't matter, or having a conversation with you, a personal friend, I'm always going to be the same person because when you know who you are, you're simply evolving. That's it. There's a very natural evolution. And I think we get stuck when we feel like we are our titles and we are what we do in the world. And the second we realize that we are not those things, Mm. we can just evolve sort Mm -hmm. of very fluidly into the next thing. And we don't have to answer to anybody why or how. I was a business coach and now I'm not, period. What is there to know about that? Like, there's no conversation to be had. And I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. I just mean I was done. Yeah. I think your superpower is knowing when you're done with something. Because I think a lot of people will just really drag, stomp their feet and try to like um, not face that inevitable truth of I'm done with this just listening to you, I think that's just such a great reminder for all of us, for me too, of like when that intuition kicks in that you are done with this, acknowledge it. Yeah. And and I think for some of us, Sharin, in, in full transparency, I don't think it's as clear for some of us as it is for others. You know, I talked about the AIDS epidemic, having a lot of folks in my family addicted to drugs. I grew up with a foundation of impermanence. Mm. I've never had a belief that anything was forever. And of course that became much more apparent in 2020, but writing this next book, so much became clear to me how this foundation of impermanence, which is like, I don't cling to most things, but it taught me to sort of grow up in a world where I understood that nothing is mine. Mm -hmm. Nothing is wholly mine. I am not wholly anyone's. What I do is a part of me. It's not who I am. I just don't feel like there's a sense of clinging and or permanence that I expect. And when you don't expect things to be forever, there's a comfort in letting them go. Yeah. I remember I was so surprised when you did 
finished, like when, when I saw the announcement that you were finishing the collective, that you were transitioning to something different because again, it was quote unquote, such a success. And it was, it was one of those real deal programs, you know, like in the coaching world, there's just so much noise. And I think I was just, the universe brought me to you. I'm so grateful for it. Right. Because I could have gotten into one of those businessy coachy things that it wouldn't have been what your program was. And so when, when I saw that, I was like, oh my gosh, no, no, this is in a very selfish way. I was like, this is such a loss. Like, do we need this in the world? And so (laughs) what was that moment where you're like, no, the collective has really helped so many people. It's an amazing platform and program, but this is also not for me. Cause I think that's another thing in the entrepreneurial world. It's like, why would I finish something that's making money? That's making an impact. Why would I end that? But when it's not serving you, like I want to hear about that process selfishly as a business owner. (laughs) Yeah. I ended it because I didn't want to do it anymore. I didn't want to do it. And I don't want to do things. I am a grown ass woman. I don't want to do things I don't have to do. And I had already learned that if I can switch from one career to an entirely different career and with time and dictuitiveness, make the same amount of money that I made in my previous career working for somebody else, I knew I could just keep doing that. I trusted that I could keep doing that. And that, well, I don't care how it's perceived, but the truth of the matter is I didn't want to do it anymore. I felt like there wasn't a need for it anymore. There were lots of folks popping up at that point. There were not a lot of black and brown people when I started the collective, and that was really important to me. But by the time it ended, there were other folks that were doing this. And quite frankly, I didn't think I was doing anything that special that the world needed me to do that anymore. Now, mind you, I didn't say that I wasn't that special. I thought I just had a different, whatever my gift is to the world, it wasn't that anymore. I was no longer needed in that space. And so I didn't feel any qualms about letting it go. Yeah. I knew, I knew I wasn't happy doing it anymore. And I think that that is a really big thing of when you're no longer feeling happy with something like that you need to really tap into what's not making me happy. And is it time to pivot? So the next pivot, Cindy, can I just say something? Yes. Yes, of course. Yes. Fuck my life. You know, I want to say something about happiness. Yes. Because I think it is a real missed opportunity. If I don't say this, we are not going to be happy in our businesses every single fucking day. It's just not going to yeah, no. like no. happiness is very fleeting. Happiness is the thing we feel from time to time beyond the happiness. I also no longer felt in my gut, in my heart, that this was a thing I should be pursuing any further. Yeah. So though it didn't make me happy, I would say that wasn't the thing that I, that made me start again. It was the thing that allowed me, that was sort of the outward knocking on the door, but I already knew. You know, and so I just, I want to say that because I don't want folks to think that we're chasing happiness. We're not, our businesses are not always going to make us happy, Yeah. but at the end of the day, if they don't bring for me, if what I do in the world isn't bringing me a sense of purpose, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. And so that was really more about the pivot than the happiness piece. I love that you brought that in because that's absolutely true. Right. And if we expect to be happy all the time in our business, all the time in anything, right. We're just kind of letting ourselves down. Something I really love about Cindy is when something interests you, you go and explore it and you go, I feel like you go deep in, right? You had your yoga, but then also I remember seeing on Instagram, like you were taking this, it was a positive psychology course, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Certification, a training now. Yeah. Certification. Mm-hmm. And it looked really intense. It looked very immersive. And I was like, how does Cindy have the time to do this? 
which then later on, I was like, oh, Cindy's writing a book about joy. So can you tell me a little bit about like how this evolution happened? Cause writing, I, I just, and, and you were so honest about writing the book on your Instagram about like, this is not all, you know, unicorns and rainbows. This is, this is like, it's my dream, but also, whoa. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us about that transition to becoming an author? Yeah, it wasn't a very hard transition. You know, I, I didn't start writing until I was 35 or 36 years old. And I started writing on Instagram, you know, and I was doing a talk on fear. I think it was and somebody who was there was worked at a publishing company. And she said, would you be interested in writing a book? And the book was on positive thinking. And I think I was already certified and I was, I was definitely already certified in it. So I brought, and I'm not, I'm not a psychologist, you know, like a certification is, does not in any way qualify me to write the book, but what did qualify me to write that book that has become an incredibly telling book is my lived experience. And I never tried to pretend that that book was anything other than that. Right. I'm like, this is a year of positive thinking from the perspective of a regular human being who has a little bit of training, but also I'm just a regular human being who's trying to find joy. And I was not gifted a life where this was inherent in my life. You know, I've worked for it. And these are some of the things I've done. First of all, it wasn't a hard transition. It was kind of put into my lap, honestly, like a lot of things. I think when we listen, uh, you know, things come across our, our desks and our lives, people come across our lives and into our lives that we can choose to acknowledge and honor or not. So it wasn't a hard transition, but it was very important to me that the language used in the book really spoke from the perspective of anecdotes and lived experience and not data and science and research. Data and science and research are, are incredibly important, but I am not a scientist nor a researcher nor a data scientist. I'm just a person who is good with words and has lived experience and can share what I know to be true. Cindy, can you share the title of your first book with the listeners? Yes, it's called A Year of Positive Thinking. I don't know the rest of it, so I'm just going to grab it if that would be okay. A Year of Positive (laughs) Thinking, Daily Inspiration, Wisdom, and Courage by me, Cindy Spiegel. This book, y'all, it's amazing. So it's like every day of the year, there is an entry about, you know, happiness and joy and positivity. And it When you get to know Cindy, follow her on Instagram. We'll have all our information in the show notes. Follow her on all platforms because sometimes I know you have moments with Instagram where you're in it. You ebb ebb and flow as we were supposed to. Cindy always shows up as herself. And that's why when you read a book about positivity and joy, it's not just, oh, just smile and ignore what's happening. It's like, no, life is really hard. Yeah. And also we can be in our joy. And can you talk about, there is, I, I sense this period in your life as a time of a lot of reclamation. Mm. There's been like this reclamation of joy. And now I'm seeing this reclamation of rest and ease. That's really beautiful. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, I think so. I think so. <laughs> like, I don't know because I'm still in it. Right. So, so there was yeah, a lot yeah. that happened from the time that we just talked about when I started my business and had the collective and let the collective go. And then I wrote a book. So I wrote A Year of Positive Thinking in 2018. Life went on as it did. I wrote this book. I was speaking a lot. I built a few other communities along the way. And in 2020 happened. The world went into shutdown. We went into quarantine. And I experienced personal loss like I never had in my life. My nephew was murdered on May 29th of 2020. My mom passed away on September 22nd of 2020. 
My brother went into heart failure in October of 2020. I was diagnosed with an illness in December of 2020. So, so much happened in a very short amount of time. And so here I was, this woman who wrote a book. I mean, if if y'all look at this book, it's a real fucking happy book, you know? I wrote this book called A Year of Positive Thinking. And after my nephew was killed, I no longer knew how to live into it. Hmm. You know, I wrote this book and, and I speak about how I grew up. And to me, I thought that was the hardest thing I'd ever have to go through. And I'd already gone through it. Like that was, that was in my past. And then life happens, right? And life has a way of ripping the rug out from underneath you just when you think you are solid. Uh, and that's what happened to me in 2020. And so, you know, I had this community that I had just created, which was Dear Grown Ass Women that had launched in late 2019. I had a speaking career that was successful. I was doing these incredible things. And all of a sudden, Sharon, I had no fucking idea who I was in the world anymore because my foundation didn't just shift, it collapsed. So everything I once believed to be true no longer felt true. And so for me, I started talking on Instagram about micro joys and they became these tiny moments throughout the day where I could just be where I was in my grief and in my pain and in my loss and just acknowledge one small, beautiful thing. And that was my slow climb to moving back into myself. And that took years. That was not a thing that happened overnight, but it was my way of saying, Cindy, you can do this. You will be okay again. You will find joy Mm -hmm. again. You will find happiness again. And it's in those moments where I really realized that happiness is not what I want in my life. I want joy. If happiness is fleeting, like fuck happiness, it's nice. It's a nice thing to have. Happiness is like a cup of coffee. But when my coffee's gone, that happiness goes with it. And so that thing that was rocky, that foundation, that rockiness of tasting happiness and wanting to feel happy all the time is gone. You know, here I am two and a half years later and that I am no longer the woman who wrote that book. Everything in that book, that first book is true, but I'm just not her anymore. And so when you talk about rest and ease in the midst of all that, I also have to say I was gifted a beautiful opportunity to write my second book in the midst of everything. So July, I think of 2021 is when my book went out to market and it went to auction, which means tons of people bid on the manuscript. And that is the book that's coming out in 2023. And that is the book that I have luckily been gifted. I mean, I worked for it, but I've been gifted the opportunity to share with the world. And so now I'm in a place where I've written the manuscript for this book. I went through 2020 and 2021 and I've grieved and mourned. And I will continue to spend the rest of my life grieving. Cindy in 2018, who wrote A Year of Positive Thinking, wasn't also Cindy that was grieving anything in particular, you know, not in the same way. And so today, the woman I am today is one that feels very confident when I say I don't have a job and I'm never going to get one again. It's like, I don't have a fucking job. I can do whatever I want. You want to get on a call and chat? Let's get on a call and chat. But I am now a woman who knows how and where I want to spend my time. And I understand that my time is a gift and it is valuable, not just to myself, but to other people. And so I don't have to give it away. Right? I don't have to be available to everybody. I don't owe anyone anything. I have worked to build a life where I can write and that sustain my living, that I can build a community, dear grown ass women, that sustains my living. Neither of those things feels like work to me. They're certainly not a job. Mm. So when people say, what do you mean, Cindy, you don't have a job? I'm like, I don't have a job. I live my life and I'm paid to do what I love. 
I no longer will have a job because the job to me feels like a thing that, again, you know, I spoke earlier about clinging. I don't do that anymore. I don't have the capacity to cling anymore. I don't have the capacity to chase happiness anymore. I have the capacity to do what feels like it's in integrity with who I am in that moment. And so what I'm, what I'm confident in is that I will never not write, but you know, will I always build communities? Maybe not. I don't know. Probably, but it's not going to mean that I'm a different person. Will I continue to speak for the rest of my life? Maybe, maybe not, but it doesn't mean that I'm a different person. None of those things that I do make me who I am. And so the woman I am today has lived a long enough life with enough difficulty and enough beauty and light and positivity to recognize that grief and joy are dance partners, Mm. right? I'm no longer trying to avoid hard things. Not that I think I ever was consciously, but there was a sense of not doing things that were too hard. Yeah. It's like, if it feels hard, I don't want to do it. I no longer feel like I don't want to do things that are too hard if I feel compelled to do them. But what I will never do is justify them to anyone else. Mm. I don't owe that to anyone. Wow. <laughs> I'm feeling that so deeply in my bones, Cindy. That was a sermon. <laughs> wow. Okay. I'm speechless because I that's really like resonating with me on so many levels because I had a realization this year too. And uh, both of us really talk a lot about joy. And, and I really had this big aha moment where I was like, joy and death are interconnected, right? That like, we are joyful because we also know that we can lose everything, right? To be in your joy is to know that this sunset is fleeting and that this moment with this person is, and to not be in the doom and gloom of it, but to be in the awareness of like, what makes this, it's bittersweet, yes. right? Yes. The bittersweetness of it all, you know? Mm-hmm. And so kind of seeing you through this lens of the past couple of years and the Cindy that has become and evolved from it. Holy crap. It's like, Oh my God. What is the goddess of like destruction? Is it Lakshmi? No, it's not Lakshmi. No, it's uh, the one who cuts. The one who cuts. Like yeah. I'm just so sensing that right now with you. Like it's just the one cutting out. Like you, the one who cuts and someone is listening to this podcast and is yelling it on the other side. We, we, we do not remember it. I'm so sorry, but it's just really giving me that like powerful energy of like from destruction comes this growth and we don't get to dictate what the growth is, but there is growth and there is this evolution of, of ourselves. So yes. So Cindy now has her second book. It's going to come out and Cindy has talked about it. Dear grown ass women is her community platform. We'll have the information for that in our show notes. But if you have felt like what Cindy has expressed and talked about has shifted you in this short time we had together, go check out dear grown ass women. It's whatever Cindy creates, first of all, it's from the heart. It's so authentic. So her communities are amazing and are a reflection of her. And you get to actually spend time with Cindy in so many ways. I know you have like movie nights and activities and you also kind of are in community with people. So check out dear grown ass women. Um, Cindy, I have some closing questions that I want to ask, but is there anything else you want to share or say before we kind of close our time together? No, I just want to thank you for allowing me to be here with you. That's all. Privilege is all mine. Let me tell you, like, I just know some amazing people. That's also (laughs) when I compiled this list of people to interview, it also was like a moment of real, whoa, you have some amazing women in your community, women who at the drop of a dime would say, yes, I will be on this podcast. And listen, 
back in the day, I was like, to be friends with someone like Cindy would be like amazing. <laughs> and now I'm friends with Cindy Spiegel. So now you just texted me and stuff. I did. I did. <laughs> All right. So I have a couple questions to end off with. Okay. So the first question is, Cindy, what is courage or how do you define courage? I define courage as living into your integrity and whatever that means to you and whatever ways that means to you. It means being in your integrity, even if other people disagree. Yes. Second question. And you can interpret this however you want to interpret it. Cindy, what is your North star? My mama. Mm -hmm. I love that. My North star is my mama in the way that she lived. And she was by no means a perfect woman but she had integrity like a motherfucker, like no one I know. And so if I ever question anything, I think, what would my mother do? Mm. She is my North Star. I love that. And finally, what advice or piece of wisdom would you give to someone who's listening on the precipice of taking that leap, but like scared or unsure? What would you say to them? You know, Sharon, I don't like to give blanket advice. And I think that's part of why I stopped business coaching because, because any answer I give is not going to be appropriate for everyone. It's just not right. So I wouldn't, I I don't have a bit of advice to say, go do the thing because I'm not going to bullshit you. That's not appropriate. Some people shouldn't do that. But what I will say is no matter where you are to start to trust and listen to your intuition, it will never lead you astray. So start in small ways because I know, you know, there's no easy way of saying, well, how do I do that? There's no book to read, right? I mean, there probably are. I don't know. I wouldn't read them because your intuition comes from you, right? Partially is like, listen to what Sharon says all the time, but also really listen into what you are telling yourself. If you're out and you decide you want tea instead of coffee, order the fucking tea, even if everybody else is getting coffee, like start in small practical ways to listen to yourself. I'm not going to tell you to like, if you're on the precipice to jump, because maybe you shouldn't jump, but only, you know, that yeah. I love that advice. I'm oh. sorry. I couldn't wrap that in a boat no, for you. Cindy, I'm sorry. And I, I just, I so appreciate your answer. Cause I, I actually a hundred percent do agree. It's not a blanket statement. Um, and what you said was so perfect. So Cindy, we're going to have all your information in the show notes, but where for you, where should people come and find you? Where can they find you? They should find me on Instagram. They should join Dear Run Ask Women, given that you're a woman 35 and older. Um, You know, find me on my website, hire me to speak at your events. I ain't cheap. I'll just let you know that. I cost a lot of money, but you know, there's a lot of wisdom in there. Somebody's got to pay for it. Otherwise, how am I supposed to live? Sharon, how am I supposed to live? I'm a terrible person. No, you're not. Anyway. So so one of Cindy's big things, I remember one of your talks um, I saw was, what is it? Like ask you, like asking for what you want. Like you're not going to know. Anytime I do something where I'm just like, well, I'm just going to ask if that's possible. Correct. Every, I just think of you and I cannot tell you how many like free upgrade grades I've gotten, like just things I've gotten just because I've been like, Hey, is it possible to, and I always think of Cindy ask for what you want. There is the worst that can happen. Someone says, no, that's it. Always ask. You want more money? Ask for more money. You want an upgrade? Ask for an upgrade. You just can ask. The problem is that most of us don't ask. You're an asker. And I'm very grateful because that you're an you. asker. Well, I am an asker because of you, Cindy. So <laughs> Cindy, thank you so, so much for um, spending this time with me, spending this time with my community. And mm. I know a lot of people are going to get so much out of this. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm just sending you so much love. It is my joy and my pleasure to be here with you. Anything for you. 
thank you so much for joining me this week. If you liked this episode, please share it with a friend, subscribe or follow where you love listening most. And if you haven't yet, leave a review. You can do this on Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Podchaser or Podcast Addict. Until next week, love.